Good morning. My privilege to read the scripture this morning, and we start with one scripture from John, the, the Gospel of John. You don't have to stand yet. I'm not reading. <laughs> but thank you. But thank you. I, I appreciate that enthusiasm. Later, we'll read from 1 John, also by the same John, not from Revelation, but he wrote that. He was a cousin of Jesus, the son of Zebedee. And this foundational scripture, you could all stand and recite probably. Let's stand now. John three, sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Don't sit down just yet, but I have to turn the page. John begins with a section in chapter 4, 1 John, uh, about testing the Spirit, about figuring out who you're listening to, what the message is, what it means, how you apply it, where is the truth of it. And then he turns to God's love and ours, starting in verse 7. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only Son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us, and his love is made complete in us. Thank you for your attention to the word of the Lord. Hmm. Thank you, Gail. Um, we are just uh, we just returned um, Wednesday from some time with family out in Washington, and we picked up something while we were there, and it wasn't very uh, something we wanted. And Julie and I are both getting over it, and I have this kink in my back. You know how sometimes these viruses settle? So if in the middle of my sermon I fall down on the floor and do stretches to loosen my back up, that'll be okay, right? (laughs) Um, God's love. Um, I want to talk about, well, and we see God in Jesus, don't we? Jesus was the living, we can reach out and touch Him, Example and proof of God's love. And Jesus' love is an inclusive love. And we're going to talk more about that this morning. But remember 
um, back during the years of the Cold War and the nuclear arms buildup, hearing frequent references to weapons of mass destruction. Uh, you know, when I was entering uh, public school, um, I, we lived in South Florida. Um, I remember doing the Cuban Missile Crisis. We were doing drills in our school. We did things like hide under our desk, which when you think about a nuke is laughable, but we did those things. Uh, we were concerned about these weapons that had such destructive power. They had an incredible potential for destruction of life and property. They were, they were to be used by nation against nation if, the, if needed, I guess. You could say that. By those countries with the strength and, ta- and technology to produce and possess such weapons. All this supposedly in an effort to win a war and control the world. In fact, it was the concern for the development and use of chemical and biological weapons of mass destruction that led President George W. Bush to authorize Operation Iraqi Freedom to rid Iraq of the tyrannical dictator Saddam Hussein and eliminate his ability to develop weapons of mass destruction in 2003. So that's, that's been a concern for a long, long time. Well, there's a war being waged for the destiny of mankind, of every man and woman on the planet. And the combatants are God and those who serve Him. And on the other side, Satan and those who serve Him. By the way, you're in one camp or the other. There is no neutral Switzerland. All right? You can't say, well, I'm not for God and I'm not for Satan. You're in one camp or the other. You're for me, God says, or you're against me. God has brought the most powerful force in the universe to bear in this conflict. A weapon that cannot be countered effectively by anything that the enemy has in his arsenal. Isn't that good to know? Kind of nice to have a weapon like that at our disposal, isn't it? Unlike the weapons of our world and the enemy of our souls that break and divide and destroy, God's weapon of love is the perfect one that heals and fulfills and brings God and man back together. That's it, love. And rather than being a weapon of mass destruction... God's love is a weapon of mass inclusion. Listen to the scripture that Gail started with this morning. For God so loved the world. That's pretty inclusive, isn't it? Pretty inclusive. God through Christ has aimed His love directly at every man, woman, and child on the planet. It's completely inclusive. There is no one 
No matter their race, creed, color, language, goodness, badness, criminal record, true or false beliefs, sexual preference, political party, or anything else that you can think of that God does not love. Now, let me deal with the misconception that's been perpetrated upon us out there. And we've heard about it recently when it's come to uh, some of these moral issues that we are confronted with as a nation and some decisions that our Supreme Court has made regarding things like same-sex marriage. And the thing that we see thrown out a lot, especially when there are voices opposed to those things, is... Well, God is love. Have you heard that? God is love. So, what that says is that if God loves you, then it really doesn't matter um, what your choices or lifestyle or actions are because that... their, their uh, view of God's love is that if God loves you, then He approves of your choices, lifestyle, and actions. You've got to do that to love someone. And I've always said, stop the bus. We know, if you're a parent, you know that's not true. Alright? I mean... Who hasn't raised a child who's made choices that we as parents didn't approve of? (laughs) Some of you had kids that didn't make any bad decisions. All right? But guess what? In spite of those, we don't approve of those decisions. We don't approve of those actions. We may, may not approve of a lifestyle choice that a child has made, but we still love them. And that's God's heart toward us. And, you know, when you boil it down, and it's kind of a, I don't know, in some ways a trite saying, because we've heard it so often, but it's, it's love the sinner, not the sin. That's God's view of mankind. Well, okay, that little caveat, when we talk about God's love being inclusive, we don't want to get the the wrong idea of what that means. Because, um, you know, God has loved people in sin. That's why He sent... There was separation between us and God because of our sin. He sent Jesus. He did this unthinkable thing of sending His Son to pay the death penalty that was on us. How many of us would say, you know what, there's a death row inmate down there that's due to go to the gallows or the gas chamber or whatever it is tomorrow, but listen, I love that person enough that I'm going to send one of my children in their place. (laughs) No. I'm not going to do that. That's what God did for us. We were all... Under the, we're all on death row. And, G, and God said, you know what, I'm going to send Jesus to die for you instead. We just need to accept what Jesus did for us, don't we? That's salvation. So, to everyone who received Jesus as personal Lord and Savior, 
God gives three things that can make the Christian unconquerable in all their battles here on earth. And we read them right at the end of, of uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Do you know what they are? Faith, hope, and the greatest of these is love. Yes. The Word of God gives you the assurance that as you take up the weapon of love and use it in all your battles, you are going to be a winner. The promises, the promise is yours. Uh, Romans 8.37 And all these things, we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. Then we who are loved by Christ are to love others as He has loved us. Are we, to, are we not to do that? We're to love others as Christ has loved us. A new command I give you, John 13.34, A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. Oh man, that's not wow. easy. Yeah. But folks, and here's the first uh, note uh, on your notes today. The first, the way we love others is the sign that we love God. The way we love others is a sign that we love God. No weapon on heaven or earth is effective unless it's used. We just talked about this. Undefeatable weapon is the love of God, but no weapon is effective unless it's used. We've got to put it to work. The Scripture is very plain that the way we love others is a sign that we have Jesus in our hearts. 1 John 4.20 If anyone says, I love God, yet hates his brother, he is a liar. For anyone who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. <clears throat> Ouch. Love is the only thing that can truly affect change in the lives of people. If we fail to use the weapon of love, that we, then we can expect nothing positive to happen. Man, it gets quiet at times like this. <laughs> love is the most powerful weapon at our disposal. It is the winningest thing there is in the world. It won over sin. It won over death. It won over hell at the cross. And that same love can mend broken marriages, rebuild broken lives, change a rebellious son or daughter into a cooperative and responsible citizen, Build bridges across impossible chasms. Transform someone who is hard, bitter, and hateful into someone who is soft, pleasant, and loving. Love can change anyone. Do we believe that? I hope we do. Because I think in our minds sometimes there are some folks out there who are just, they're lost causes. They're impossible. <clears throat> Here's some New Testament affirmations that we need to make ours. We need to take to heart. <clears throat> Romans 
Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. Galatians 5.13 Serve one another in love. Ephesians 5.2 Live a life of love just as Christ has loved us. 1 Thessalonians 3.12 May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and... Okay, we're talking about the church. For each other. Oh, by the way, and for everyone else. Not just the crowd that you, you know, meet with on Sunday and are pretty easy to get along with, I hope. But for everyone else. Paul says, just as ours does for you. Why? Why is why do we have these encouragements to love because our love others? Because our love for others is the greatest evidence of our love for God, our Heavenly Father. And by the way, point two God's love really does include everyone. <clears throat> I think sometimes we hate to think that. Oh, not them. I mean, they are, they're, they're rotten to the core. They're the Grinch at Christmas. You know what I'm saying? A little boy asked his pastor, how big is God's love? And the, the pastor asked in return, how, do, how big do you think the world is? And the bo- little boy put each hand out as far as he, as he could and said, It's bigger than big. And the pastor said, well, that's how big God's love is because the Bible says God so loved the world. God's love is bigger than our world. God's love love never excludes. It always reaches out to include. It's like a rubber band that's always stretching farther to reach more. And bring them in. Love that excludes anyone or shuts them out for any reason is not God's kind of love. So if that's true, then we need to reach out to others with God's love. Remember Otis Skillings? He used to write music for... um, well, he wrote a lot of music back in the day when I was a teenager. I think we were singing Otis Skilling stuff. And he wrote a song that's called Reach Out and Touch. And some of the words go like this. Reach out and touch the heart of someone. Someone who's lost his way. Help him find a new direction. Showing him how to pray. Reach out your hand of love. A so-called expert in the law of Moses came to Jesus to test him by asking him this question. Teacher, what does a man need to do to live forever in heaven? Jesus told him that the the primary commandment was that you must love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and you must love your neighbor as much as you love yourself. 
And the man wanted to justify his lack of love for some kinds of people, so he said, Who's my neighbor? Which neighbor am I supposed to love? See, the man's question was designed to evade the whole truth of love to get him off the hook, so to speak. So that he could love who he thought was lovable and ignore everyone else that didn't make the list. Jesus seized the opportunity and told this man the story of the Good Samaritan to make it clear that every human being who is in need is our neighbor. By the way, some of the things that anger or disgust or irritate or even repulse us are the most glaring indicators of need. God's love breaks down all kinds of barriers, be they real or unreal. And so he tells the story of the Good Samaritan, which to the Jews was the last person you'd expect to do something kind to a Jew. But Jesus was making the example of, listen, if somebody's in need, they're your neighbor. You know, it's not easy to love like that. Is it? It stretches us. It may make us uncomfortable. And by the way, it may not always be received in the spirit with which it's given. Which is hard for us. You know, when we're nice, when we're loving, we want people to love us back or at least be grateful. Right? Hmm. But you know what? Even when people don't respond the way we think they should, we love them anyway. That's what Jesus did. In in the context of loving our neighbor, I want to share something with you that's kind of new on the horizon for us as a church. Um, I met a number of weeks ago now with a man named Rick Santana. Rick Santana is the District Hispanic Ministry Coordinator for the Colorado District. And he called me one day and said, Pastor, I'd like to meet with you. And we made a time to meet and we met together. And he said, would you consider the possibility of a Hispanic work through your church? And um, I said, boy, that sounds exciting to me. And so um, we had him come and meet with the board. And the board says, boy, that sounds kind of exciting to us. That'd be, that'd be a new thing. I think we need a new thing. I think we need a new thing. And when you consider <clears throat> the fact... Uh, by the way, let, this is, we're talking about Hispanic work, not a Spanish work. There's a difference. Because when we talk about a Spanish work, we're thinking about something, well, people will come and we all speak Spanish and, and how do we do that? And we're not talking about that. In fact, um, uh, and I won't share all the statistics with you today. Um, Rick, I asked Rick Santana to come and he'll be sharing with us uh, from the pulpit on October 14th. And we will have opportunity at that time to ask him questions 
about how this works and he can share statistics with us about you know percentages of Hispanics in our community um, and things like how many speak only Spanish and how many speak only English and how many speak both languages and things like that. <clears throat> but I was thinking about loving our neighbor. <clears throat> and we have a lot of Hispanics in our neighborhood. Uh, drive by the schools down here uh, during recess sometime. And just look, I mean, a vast percentage of the children on that playground are Hispanic kids. So we, you know what, we, uh, a lot of the kids walking home from school past our house, guess what? They're Hispanics. They're Hispanics. By the way, English-speaking Hispanics, but they're Hispanics. That's their culture. And um, so we as a board have discussed that. We would like to look like our neighborhood. Remember I said um, it's not always easy. Sometimes it's uncomfortable. Um, We were visiting with our daughter and her family in Wenatchee, Washington this last week, and they attend a very active and growing Free Methodist Church there. And um, Jill... uh, my daughter, our daughter, shared with us their mission statement. And I want to read it to you. Sage Hills, which is the name of their church mission statement, is to risk our comfort to reach our community to release freedom in Christ. To risk our comfort to reach our community. Did you hear that? To risk our comfort... To reach our community. Now, I'm thinking, love our neighbor. And we've got lots of neighbors that are not a part of our church, who are culturally different from us, and some have language differences from us. But are we willing to risk our comfort to reach our community for Jesus? I hope we are. And we'll be talking more about this. We'll have a uh, a, a church meeting where um, we can talk about this, what our concerns may be. You can ask questions of me, and then when Rick Santana comes on the 14th of October, you can grill him a little about this. But God has called us to love our neighbor, and that's anyone in need. And then the final point this morning is love reveals itself in action. Uh, talk's cheap, right? Oh, I love you. Yeah, don't ask me for anything. In the story that Jesus told, again referring to the story of the Good Samaritan, we see that love is more than a nice feeling or, or just the word we throw around in church. Christian love responds to need wherever it might be found. Christian love can never be passive. If it is truly God's love, it will reveal itself in action. It's not a warm, fuzzy feeling. Again, we have this misconception that's been perpetuated on us in the world we live in that says, well... 
a lot of definition of love is a sexual thing in the world we live in, right? That's what love is. Or it's this thing about, again, that I referred to earlier, if you really love people, you'll you'll love them whatever they choose to do or however they live their lives choose to live their lives or the actions they take or the decisions they make. I mean, it's a package deal. And, and as, I, as I prayed in my prayer this morning, that is not love. God loved us so much that He wasn't willing to leave us where we were at, living the way we lived, making the choices we made, acting the way we acted. He loved us so much that He wanted to change us and mold us into the likeness of Jesus Christ. So He accepted us. He he loved us just as we were, but He loved us enough to work change in our lives. Because God wants us in heaven. God so loved the world, remember? He'd like every one of us that populates the planet in heaven with Him someday. Do you believe that? God, hell was not created for us. And God doesn't send anyone there and He doesn't want anyone there. And there's no back door to it, by the way. God so loved the world that He sent Jesus to take care of the sin problem so that we could live in heaven with Him forever. God loved us so much that He took action. Right? He took action. So it's more than a nice feeling or just this word that we use in church a lot and it sounds good. It responds to need wherever it may be found. It reveals itself in action. 1 John again. Chapter 3, verses 17 and 18 If someone has enough money to live well and sees a brother or sister in need but shows no compassion, how can God's love be in that person? Dear children, let's not merely say that we love each other. Let's not merely say that we love each other. Let us show the truth by our actions. James says that faith without works is dead. The motivating factor behind our faith is love for God and others. And that love is indicated by our actions. Matthew 25, verses 34 through 40. This is Jesus speaking. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the creation of of the world. For I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger and you invited me into your home. I was naked and you gave me clothing. I was sick and you cared for me. I was in prison and you visited me. I needed a friend and you were my friend. I needed encouragement and you came alongside me. We could add all those things to that. Then the righteous ones will reply, Lord, when do we ever see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink or a stranger and show you hospitality or naked and give you clothing? When do we ever see you sick and in prison and visit you? When were we a friend to you when you felt friendless? When did we have an encouraging word for you when you were discouraged? And the king will say, I tell you the truth, when you did it for one of the least of these my brothers and sisters, you were doing it to me. 
Love takes action to meet needs. But here's what we need to remember. Love gets close enough to find out what those needs are. Did you hear that? Love takes action to meet needs, but love gets close enough to find out what those needs are. So, the question I have as we close this morning is this. Am I willing to risk inclusive love? Am I willing to risk inclusive love? Dean, would you come forward at this time? What we're going to do this morning is take some time to remember the greatest act of love that ever, ever happened. It was when Jesus offered himself up on Calvary's cross for us. Amen? Greatest act of love that ever happened. And I asked Dean to share with us some thoughts on communion this morning. One of the reasons I asked him to do that is because in his Christian Life Conditioning Sunday School class, they're going through all these things about what it means to be a Christian. And they've been talking about communion recently. And I think it's important for us to, uh, to understand the importance of what it, what it is that we do when we celebrate communion. So Dean, share with us. One of the things that Pastor didn't tell you is it took us several weeks to talk about this. So you might as well get comfortable, right? Um, I'm, I'll, I'll try to keep it brief. Uh, communion is a means of grace. It is a sacrament. But as a means of grace, what that means is that as we celebrate the sacrament, that we are drawn near to God, to his presence in a very special way, um, where he can administer his grace to us. So it's more than just eating and drinking. God is here with us this morning as we do this, ministering to us. I want to focus on four of the things that happen when we celebrate communion. We join Christ at the table in the past. We participate in his grace in the presence. We look forward to the fulfillment of all things, and we are united with Christ and with each other. So I need to sit this down here so I can work it for a second. But So in the past, in 1 Corinthians 11.26, The Apostle Paul wrote, For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Communion looks back to the sacrifice of our Lord Jesus, that greatest act of love that you're talking about. In Luke 22.19, Jesus told his disciples, Do this in remembrance of me. The word translated remembrance indicates more than just a a mental exercise. This is a reenactment in which we are, in a sense, at the table with Christ himself. The past becomes a present reality for us. All right? In the present, 
The communion wine or juice represents the blood of the new covenant. In Matthew 26:28, Jesus says, For this is the blood of my covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. When we partake of communion, we honor the blood of Christ and participate in this covenant. Although the blood was shed in the past, the grace, mercy, and forgiveness it provides is a present reality for us. In the future, in Matthew 26:29, Jesus said, I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it with you in my Father's kingdom. The celebration of communion anticipates the banquet at the fulfillment of the kingdom of God. So Jan Bender, one of my class members, likened communion to being rocketed to another dimension in which we experience the past, present, and future with Christ in this moment. Mm. It's a divine thing that's happening here. And finally, there's unity. Communion unites us with Christ and with each other. In 1 Corinthians 10:17, the Apostle Paul wrote, Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. This truth was captured beautifully in a song written by John Michael Talbot. And the song is called One Bread, One Body. And I'll read some of the lyrics. One bread, one body, one Lord of all, one cup of blessing which we bless. And we, though many, throughout the earth, we are one body in this one Lord, Gentile or Jew, servant or free, Woman or man, no more. Many the gifts, many the works, one in the Lord of all. One bread, one body, one Lord of all. One cup of blessing which we bless, and we, though many, throughout the earth, we are one body in this one Lord. So when we celebrate communion, we join Christ at the table in the past, Participate in his grace in the present. Look forward to the fulfillment of all things. And we are united with Christ and with each other. Amen. Thank you, Dean. Would those who will be serving us...